end times, the day of the Lord, judgment day, the end of days. No, we're not going to talk about movies this morning. All of those I think might be good ones, I don't know. But this is the theme of our readings today, the second coming of Jesus Christ. What will it be like when Jesus returns? When will Jesus return, and is he returning soon? Our Old Testament reading from the prophet Malachi was written around 430 BC. Malachi tells us that surely the day is coming soon. 4430 BC. Surely the day is coming soon. Psalm 98, a beautiful psalm, is a psalm of praise anticipating the coming of the Lord to rule his people. And Jesus' words in Luke chapter 21 are a stark warning about what it may be like when Jesus returns. It's also a warning about what happened in AD 70 when the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed. All of these can tell us what might happen, but nothing tells us when, does it? This was the question that the disciples had in our gospel reading today. Jesus and his disciples are at the temple in Jerusalem. This is before, right before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus is, this is his last trip into Jerusalem and he's teaching at the temple. The first, the end of this chapter tells us each day Jesus was teaching in the temple and each evening he went out to the Mount of Olives and then in the morning all the people came to hear him teach. And so while they're listening to Jesus in the temple they of course the disciples are looking around and they're seeing the temple and they say wow this is a beautiful temple. And this temple which had been built after the Israelites returned from exile in the 6th century BC was greatly expanded by Herod the Great over a period of 46 years and it was beautiful and it was an imposing structure. But Jesus would have none of it. He told them about the impending destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. And so naturally, what did they ask? When you hear something, what do you ask? When is this going to happen? And how will I know? What will be the sign that it's going to take place? I think we all know there have been so many failed predictions, right, of when Jesus was going to return. They come and they go. And even Jesus, when he walked the earth, said this, no one knows about that day or hour or even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So, if after the readings you were hoping to get a sermon on when I think Jesus is coming, I am sorry to disappoint you. That will not be happening this morning. Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely believe that Jesus will return. 
And I absolutely believe that it is important to believe that. And I say it along with you every Sunday, right? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will turn again. Return again. That is our hope as Christians. But instead of focusing on the what, where, who, how, I'd like to talk about us and what it is that we should and should not be doing while we're awaiting the return of Jesus. So let's look first at the gospel passage. The first thing that Jesus says to his disciples after they ask, when will this happen and how will we know, is he said, do not be deceived by false teachers who say they are the returning Messiah and that the time is near. And I don't know if any of you watch any of the um, on, you know, online teachers, and I'm not maligning the online teachers, Christian teachers, but isn't that one of the subjects that we hear all the time? Lord's coming back. Got to do this. Got to do this. Coming back tomorrow, right? Whether he is or not, Jesus tells us, do not be deceived. So how are we not deceived? We as Christians need to be grounded in the scriptures, right? We need to know and be grounded in our faith and assured that he is returning. And we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit so that our spirit will recognize Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This way, we know that it is Jesus when he returns and not some false prophet. We are to stand firm in our faith. And I, I mean, that phrase has just been coming up so much over the past few weeks. Just ask Bishop Alex. As Jesus says in the end of the passage, so that we will gain eternal life. So we are not to be deceived. A second thing that Jesus tells his disciples in this passage, and he tells us now, do not be frightened. How many times in scriptures does Jesus say when he makes his appearance or he talks with people, the first thing he says to them, don't be afraid. Do not be frightened. Don't worry. He tells them there will be wars. We know there are always wars. There will be revolutions. There are always revolutions and persecutions and betrayals. But we are not to be frightened. If I, if I might just digress briefly, in, I will talk about one movie. There is the movie The Men in Black, and it's a movie about uh, a group of uh, people who uh, deal with the aliens in the universe. Obviously science fiction, right? And uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is recruiting a young uh, uh, Will Smith to be a, a man in black. And they're sitting on a bench. And Tommy Lee Jones is telling him that there is an Archelian battleship out there ready to destroy the Earth. And Will Smith is all upset. He says, I can't believe it. And Tommy Lee Jones says, listen. There is always an Archelian battleship out there ready to destroy the earth. 
right? There are always wars. There are always revolutions. But we are not to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus promises that not one hair on our head will perish. Now that's kind of an odd thing for him to say to his disciples, since all of them but one were martyred. We all know that, right? But what Jesus is saying, not that we won't experience physical harm or death, but none of us will suffer eternal loss. Everyone dies, but as Christians, we are not to be afraid because Jesus has saved us for eternal life. So in the end times, we're not to be deceived, and we are to stand firm, and we are not to be afraid. There's one more thing that I'd like to talk about, and I will get to that at the end. But for now, I want to focus a little bit on Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. This is, this is an example of Father James's location, 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 or context, 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 right? Let me start with chapter two of this letter. It says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed, don't be afraid, by some prophecy or report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already arrived. The context or the location of uh, Paul's letter to Thessalonians is this. There was a small group of people within the community of believers that was teaching that Jesus either was coming tomorrow or that he had already come. And it's important to understand that concept. So, so because Paul then goes on in chapter three to chastise those believers, okay? Because it's just not true. And then he goes on to exhort the other believers to stay away from those who believed that false prophecy. And what was happening is those who believed that false prophecy, they set aside their responsibilities, they quit working, they did no future planning, and they basically sat at home and waited for Jesus. That's what they were doing. They figured that since Jesus either had already come or he was coming tomorrow, what is the point for me to do anything? And they um, left and excused themselves, withdrew from society, and became idle, which led to a passive Christianity. I'm just going to sit here and wait for the Lord. So that's the context in which Paul is writing and telling them, please do not simply quit working and wait for the rapture, all right? You are not to do that. First of all, it's a false teaching. Now, it may sound kind of harsh for Paul to say, keep away from these people. But the problem becomes that type of idleness may spread. And someone may look at that person who's sitting in his chair, drinking his beer, and say, well, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that too. And understand, remember, Paul is talking 
not to the outside world. He's talking to believers here, okay? So essentially, this group of people was listening to the false prophets, and they were, they essentially thought, okay, I'm going to neglect what I'm doing, and I am just going to sit. Now, the word for idle that is used in the Greek, and I will be the first to tell you, I am not a Greek scholar. I leave that to Father James. <laughs> he says no, but he's more than I am. So, But it's a strange little Greek verb that means irresponsibly, and it's often found in the context of battle imagery, okay? Of soldiers not being ready for their post or not being ready to fight because they are being idle. Paul tells us that not only are the people who have believed that Jesus has already returned sitting idle, but they're going, they're meddling in other people's lives. And they're laughing at them and telling them, much like the Israelites in our Malachi chapter, why should I do anything? Why should I do anything for the Lord? Because all of the evilness around, they win and I lose anyway. So, when the end times are near, and does everybody understand that the end times began the minute Jesus ascended into heaven. Do we understand that that then became the end times because then the next thing we're waiting for is to Jesus to return. So what are we to do in this the end times? First of all, we're not to be deceived. We are to know what we believe. Secondly, we are not to be afraid. We are to know in whom we believe. We are not to be idle or busy bodies and we are to stand firm in our faith. So what is the solution to this idleness? And it's very simple. And sometimes things in scripture are so simple that we just miss them. Paul argues that in order to avoid a life of idleness and meddling, in preparation for Jesus' return, we should simply and quietly do the work that God has given us to do. I know that sounds so simple, but it is so true. And the last thing that Paul tells us is that we are to never tire of doing good. We are to do the work that God has placed in front of us and to never tire of doing good. You see, some of the Israelites in our Malachi passage were tired of doing good or right. They said, it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements? They grumbled in verse 14. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are times we feel that way, don't we? I know I do, maybe, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but, but then we read about those who are standing firm, who are not idle, who know what they believe, who are not being afraid, okay? For them and for us who stand firm and revere God's name and never tire of doing good, this is what scripture tells us. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And I love this visual. And it has calves here. 
and you will go out and leak like calves released from the stall. I've never seen a calf leap, but I have seen deer leap, especially around here. And when they leap, you can just see the joy as they leap. And that's what God has for us. You see, the thought that Jesus is returning, even if he was returning tomorrow, and he may, we don't know that. It should inspire not idleness, but it, it should inspire us to really be doing the work of the Lord. You see, secular society, as we all know, continues to move further and further away from Christian values, ethics, and morality. And so our response should not be to sit idly and say, oh well, I'm going to heaven anyway. Our response should be to continue to proclaim the truth and actively live the truth. We cannot be salt and light if we withdraw from society. There is so much hopelessness in society and we, because of Jesus Christ, have so much hope to share. So in closing, what I'd ask you all to do is to take some time today or this week and sit with the Lord, sit with his word and ask, Lord, what is the good that you have called me to do in light of the fact that Jesus may return at any time? What is it that I can do to be salt and light in this earth? And help me not to be deceived. Help me not to be afraid. Help me not to be idle or a busybody, but help me to stand firm in the faith and help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to never tire of doing the good that you have been placed in front of me. And I love the fact that Paul says, and quietly do the good. Not with fanfare and look at me, but quietly go about doing what God has called each of you to do. And believe me, God has called you to do something. And as I've heard so many times, you can't do everything, but you can do something. So let us pray. Good and gracious Lord, we do long for the day that you return, Lord, and come and bring your glory to this earth and make everything right. We do yearn for that, Lord. But in the meantime, in these end times, Lord God, we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would enable us to do all those things that you have called us to do so that when that time comes, either when you return or we return to you in death, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.